innovation. How the history of mail order might help us manage innovation at scale. 2022 was a record year for home delivery of parcels and packages. After those COVID-19 lockdowns, the idea of remote shopping had become a big reality and it had changed the behaviour patterns of millions of people. In fact, it's become a habit which is hard to break, even when there's increasing disturbance in the delivery end of things, problems like strikes or the negative publicity surrounding how packages are sometimes actually handled and delivered. And estimates of the market size for this remote retailing world vary widely, but the suggestion is it's worth close to half a trillion dollars worldwide. But where did this revolution come from? And what's the innovation history behind remote retailing? Well, for that, we need to go back a couple of hundred years and locate ourselves in the beautiful hills of Powys in Wales. In the valley alongside the River Severn nestles the small town of Newton, a market centre since the 13th century. And in 1856, the home of Price Jones, a draper's assistant who rose to take over the business in which he worked and for which he had big plans. He renamed the company the Royal Welsh Warehouse and he specialised in selling Welsh flannel. His vision grew out of a belief in the wonderful powers of the soft, warm fabric crafted from wool from the sheep he could see on the hillsides all around him. But it was also sharply focused on the potential size of that market if only he could grow it. Which he did, courtesy of two key enabling innovations which reached sufficient maturity to give him the channels to reach his imagined global market. Those channels were the postal system and the railways. Now, neither was new by this time, but they were coming of age and enabling hitherto unrealisable dreams to take shape. Way back in 1654, Oliver Cromwell had established the idea of a state postal system, but it took another 30 years before anything reliable began to operate, and that only around the City of London. It was another 100 years before Parliament authorised the creation of penny posts in any town or city, and while the idea grew in popularity, it was still expensive and local in impact. It wasn't until the major reforms of the post office in 1840 that the idea of a uniform penny post was established, which facilitated the safe, speedy and cheap conveyance of letters and parcels. And with it came the first prepayment in the form of postage stamps, beginning with the famous penny black. Now, Price Jones was quick to spot the possibilities in this newly emerging postal system. He began offering his wares via mail order. The offer was simple. Place your order via mail and it will be delivered the next day, effectively anticipating Amazon's Prime service by about 150 years and offering faster delivery. To explain to his market what he had to offer, he developed an illustrated catalogue from which they could choose what they wanted and he launched this service in 1861. 
He was able to fulfil the delivery promise side of things because the railways had also come of age. From the rocket which George Stevenson demonstrated in 1829, the idea of modern railway networks had developed rapidly. And that railway came to Newtown fairly soon and Jones was quick to exploit its possibilities. He built a warehouse next to the station and opened his mail order business alongside the post office. He expanded several times and in 1879 built the Royal Welsh Warehouse, a tall red brick building in the centre of Newtown which still stands today. His idea paid off. Within months his business had started to grow and by the 1880s he had an international operation. Counting amongst his patrons the royal houses of Austria, Britain, Denmark, Germany, Hanover, Italy, Naples and Russia. Valuable customers not only for their purchases but also for their implicit endorsement. Because Jones wasn't just skilled at utilising new channels. He also played the role of conveyor, someone actively encouraging and promoting the use of the new business model along these channels. His mail order catalogue wasn't simply a price list of items. It was a form of storytelling, complete with pictures and expansive descriptions. He understood the principles of marketing, the need to get customers to buy into a vision of something which they wanted. And then he was able to fulfil that demand. He was also a gifted product innovator. Amongst other things he's credited with is the invention of the sleeping bag, which he patented in 1878 under the name of the Euclisia rug. And he exported this around the world, at one point landing a contract with the Russian army for 60,000 of the rugs. But Price Jones wasn't alone. Like so many innovations, the idea of mail-order retailing came to several people independently at around the same time, reflecting the changing environment and these enabling technologies. For example, in Austria, the Tonnet family began selling their furniture in 1859, using a mail-order catalogue and taking advantage of postal and transport innovations. In fact, Price Jones's model was predated by the US luxury goods company Tiffany's, who launched their Blue Book in 1845, which was arguably the world's first mail order catalogue, though targeted at a very small, select and wealthy market. But it wasn't long before other entrepreneurs began to see possibilities extending beyond the reach into new markets for particular products. They realised there was a second side to the new marketplace, the suppliers. Now, these days we're used to seeing examples of platform businesses everywhere we look. Just glance down at your smartphone to see the array of apps representing goods and services being offered across the platform of its shiny screen. But it was 150 years ago that this kind of business model first emerged. In 1872, Aaron Montgomery Ward from Chicago started his own single-page mail-order catalogue. It listed 163 items for sale. He's credited, amongst other things, with coining the sales slogan, Satisfaction Guaranteed or Your Money Back. The model clearly worked. Ten years later, the Wishbook catalogue listed over 10,000 items. 
But more important was the fact that Ward didn't manufacture many of these. He effectively created the platform across which the market in multiple goods and services could operate. And in doing so, he paved the way for many others spotting and exploiting a similar opportunity. For example, in Canada, one of the largest department stores was the Eaton Company, originally founded in 1869 to sell dry goods, backed by a growing network of factories. Timothy Eaton saw the possibilities in mail order and in 1884 released their 32-page catalogue. He expressed his vision of a network stretching across the subcontinent of Canada in a note to accompany the catalogue. This catalogue is destined to go wherever the maple leaf grows, throughout the vast dominion. We have the facilities for filling mail orders satisfactorily, no matter how far the letter has to come and the goods have to go. And down in North Redwood, Minnesota, Richard Warren Sears, a railway services agent, began a sideline business by purchasing a batch of watches which had been refused delivery and selling them on to local people. In 1886, he used the profits he earned from that to set up a mail order business, selling and repairing watches as the R.W. Sears Watch Company. That year, he teamed up with a watch repairman named Alva Curtis Roebuck, and in 1887, the two of them relocated to Chicago, where in 1888, they launched a printed catalogue offering a range of luxury goods like watches and jewellery. By 1892, this had grown to a 322-page catalogue, which included sewing machines, sporting goods, musical instruments, saddles, firearms, buggies, bicycles, baby carriages, and some clothing. What Sears and Roebuck, and a growing number of others were doing, was developing this new business model of a platform, using the catalogue as the focal point across which remote retailing could expand. But it wasn't simply a matter of printing and distributing a catalogue. What they were really doing was mastering the art of building an ecosystem for retail innovation. They recognised that simply advertising a wide range of products and services to an expectant public would be a very fast way of losing money and reputation. In order to make the system work, they needed to pull together a network and get it working to deliver emergent properties, where the whole offered much more than the sum of the parts. Making remote retailing work meant finding ways to procure or manufacture a wide range of products and then holding them in a warehouse so that they're available for quick delivery. But holding stock takes up space and costs money, so the trick is to manage the logistics of sales forecasting, order processing and stock holding, plus being able to ensure rapid and reliable delivery, which places emphasis back on those reliable new channels, as Price Jones had discovered. And underneath this web of suppliers and deliveries is the challenge of cash flow, how to ensure enough money comes back into the system fast enough to cover costs and return a profit, which helps keep the supply side engaged. So new models for financing and payment began to emerge, not least the concept of paying cash on delivery. The model expanded throughout the world, 
and was often at the heart of a move from remote shopping to direct retail. The origins of the 20th century department store include a sizable crossover component. For example, Kastner and Oehler was the first mail-order business in Central Europe. The company was founded in 1873 in Austria, releasing its first mail-order catalogue in 1885. As it grew, it opened its first department store in 1894 and went on to become one of the household names in European retailing. And mail order was a powerful business model which worked well through most of the 20th century. But as we've learned about innovation so often, nothing lasts forever. New developments open up new possibilities and it's not always the existing players who are best placed to exploit them. In the early 1980s, a new channel began to appear, the internet. And it opened up not only new opportunities in terms of potential reach, mirroring what Price Jones had seen in the emergence of uniform postal systems a century before, but it also changed the underlying thinking behind some of the core warehousing and logistics which underpin the mail order model. Jeff Bezos was aware of the opportunity and had created a list of possible sectors to target with an internet-based model. He chose books and quickly realised he could not only reach a huge market via this new channel, but he could also service it without the high costs of actually warehousing and distributing the books. He recognised the long-tail possibilities. With his model, he could reach people with highly specific needs and connect them to suppliers who could meet that need. He also saw that this underlying business model was available to anyone. The advantages would come to those who could scale early and build a platform. As the major bookseller Barnes & Nobles pointed out in their submission to legal authorities in a lawsuit in 1997, Amazon wasn't a bookseller at all. It was a book broker. And where Amazon and others paved the way for a new model to emerge, putting the platform kind of business on steroids, others were slower to recognise and adapt. The German firm Queller had grown since its founding in 1927 to become one of the biggest mail-order operations in Europe. With a dedicated logistics and warehousing operation near the town of Furt in Bavaria, this was, along with Tempelhof Airport in Berlin, one of the largest industrial sites in Europe, stretching over nearly seven hectares. But a failure to adapt fast enough to the rapid changes being brought about through internet retailing meant that by 2006 it had collapsed into bankruptcy. And all that remains today is the 90 metre high Queller Turm, the Queller Tower, built in 1964 and now preserved as a landmark to a different industrial era. One of the interesting features of the model Price Jones developed way back in the 1860s was the stimulus it gave to local producers, enabling the region around Newtown to prosper with new businesses. And something very similar has happened with the internet-driven mail-order businesses built across the huge Alibaba platform in China. In 2003, Jack Ma launched the idea of a Taobao marketplace where people could trade goods and services using the ability of the platform to reach a large and distributed market 
and display content in rich and interesting formats. The model, the Taobao model, is comprised primarily of small businesses, but it's grown to be the largest digital retail platform in the country and has spawned many Taobao villages, areas where over 10% of the population is engaged in online retailing. It's had a huge impact on the rural economy. By August 2019, there were nearly 4,500 Taobao villages in 25 provinces, and estimates suggest that up to half the rural population has benefited from this. It's equivalent to around 600,000 small shops and trading factories employing around 10 million people and with an economic value of close to $200 billion worth of sales. The mail order story, of course, isn't over. With the rising expectations of a growing market for instant delivery has come a challenge and an opportunity around the last mile question. How to move from the digital world to physical delivery of products. And whilst that's brought many major traditional logistics players into the space, there are challenges on the horizon. For example, drone delivery or even 3D printing of a growing range of physical products where they're actually going to be consumed. The virtualization process has only just begun and it may still be a while before the Welsh flannel beloved of Price Jones emerges spinning out of a 3D wool printer in our homes. But perhaps the best kept secret in this world is the one shrouded in Arctic mists and dating back hundreds of years. Somehow, a single enterprise, the mysterious S-Claws operation, has managed continuously the challenge of reliable overnight delivery on a global basis to millions of expectant children. So there are clearly lessons still to be learned around wish fulfillment innovation through mail order. Mm -hmm.